So go ahead and uh, grab a Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 4. And I want to begin with a question. Do, do you think a person can change? Do you think a person really can change? I, I, think, uh, I, I think every one of us at some point or another really raised that question. You know, in the musical Oliver, Fagan, the lead character, uh, as you know, the authorities are kind of closing in on, around him, uh, on some decisions, some bad decisions that he has made, uh, and he's about to have to pay the consequences of those uh, choices and decisions. He, he sings this line in this song over and over, over again, can a man change, can a man change, can a man change? I think it's a great question for today. And, uh, you know, all of us in various ways want to know, you know, as parents, we've asked the question at report card time, can the couch potato become a worker bee? You know, uh, we've wondered in a marriage, can a demanding, hypercritical spouse ever become a lover? You know, we've wondered, can the addicted ever become free? And we've often asked, you know, can the chronically depressed ever find joy? And so what's interesting about the Bible is the Bible answers this question with an emphatic yes. In fact, I would submit to you, church, that that God is in the life-changing business. God does a lot of things, and his best thing is changing our lives and changing uh, the human heart. And so today, I want us to look at a story where we're going to see the most unlikely of persons, somebody that you would never think change, become completely transformed. And his name is Nebuchadnezzar. And if you've been tracking with us in this series that we've been calling Shining in Babylon, you have a little bit of an idea of the kind of person old Neb is. This guy is a, he's a tyrannical, idolatrous, murderous, pagan ruler of Babylon. It would be an understatement to say that he is far from God. I think more accurately you could say he thinks he is God. And, and so God uses Daniel to bring the word of God to him, to bring the truth of God to him, and it changes his life. Absolutely changes his life. And so what Daniel 4 does is it testifies to us about the power of the gospel, of how it can take a person and move them from pride to humility, from sin to salvation, from darkness to light, from being lost and to being found. And so we're in Daniel chapter 4. Now let me, let me kind of set up Daniel 4 this way. Uh, Daniel 4 kind of records the story of King Nebuchadnezzar having a dream. He has another dream, and this dream disturbs him. And, and just like in Daniel chapter 2, he needs somebody to tell him what the dream means. He needs somebody to tell him the interpretation of the dream. And just like in Daniel chapter 2, his, his astrologers, his wise men, his counselors, you know, his, his, his legal guys, nobody can interpret the dream for him. And so guess who he has to call on to get the interpretation of the dream? Well, you guessed it. Just like in Daniel chapter 2, he calls on he calls on Daniel in Daniel chapter 4. Now, let me just kind of pause and just throw something in here because I, I want you to kind of see this, you know, correctly. I, I think it would be a misperception. I think it would be a common misperception to think as we look at Daniel's life through these, you know, first few chapters of the book of Daniel, that his life kind of moves seamlessly from one extraordinary manifestation of God's power to the next and to the next and to the next. Like his, his life is just so otherworldly and so, you know, extraordinary that we can't really relate to him. 
And the reality is, is that perception is not true. Because what we see in Daniel chapter 4 is a dream like in Daniel chapter 2. But the, the, the difference is this. 32 years separate Daniel chapter 2 from Daniel chapter 4. 32 years. So dreams, don't grow, dreams from God don't grow on trees. And, uh, and, and so what we see from this is that Daniel's life, his life span runs you know, 70 years as he serves the different kings in Babylon. And there's probably, I don't know, eight or nine occurrences that the book of Daniel records. And so what that tells me is this, that most of Daniel's life is just spent being faithful to God, doing ordinary things day in and day out. And that's something you and I can relate to. Because a lot of life is just showing up and being faithful to God. Whether you're a single mom, or you're a dad working hard to provide for your family, or you're a student trying to just get everything done that you're supposed to get done, a lot of what God asks us to do is just be faithful in the ordinary stuff of life. And that God's blessing resides in that. And that's exactly what we see in Daniel. Now, God does do some extraordinary things through him, but he also does extraordinary things through you. And so, but most of it is rather ordinary. Now, what about this dream that old Neb has, all right? So this is interesting. It's kind of similar to the other dream in some respects. So he has this dream of this tree, this huge tree. I'm talking about the mother of all trees, okay? And uh, so this thing just reaches to the sky and um, absolutely massive. And there's this heavenly messenger, an angel. And, uh, and so this messenger speaks and at the command of this heavenly messenger, this tree is cut down, the branches are stripped, there are metal bands put around the stump, and then the stump is drenched with dew. And, and then, for no apparent reason, uh, without really explanation, the angel announces, let him be drenched with dew, let, let him be brought down, and let him have the mind of an animal. And... Uh, and then all the living will know that the most high is truly the king. Now, obviously, that dream terrified Nebuchadnezzar. So he's looking for somebody to interpret the dream for him. And uh, he recruits Daniel. Daniel's got a good track record in this. And, and so Daniel kind of hesitates a little bit. It's going to be a tough truth for Neb to hear. But he basically tells him, you're, you're destined for a great fall. It's coming. And uh, so he kind of lays it on him that you're going to have the mind of an animal. You're going to be, you're going to relinquish your throne for a little bit. And you're going to live out in the fields um, for a period of seasons. And it's no wonder old Neb is terrified. But he's not terrified enough to make any changes, as we're going to see in just a minute. So everything happened just like Daniel explained through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind. He thinks he's an animal. He lives out in the fields. And so, um, you know, he grows, his hair grows really long. His nails grow really long like the claws of an animal. And finally, after a period of time, we don't know exactly what that period of time is. Some people think it's like seven years or so. Um, could be more, could be less. Uh, but finally, something has happened in Neb's life. He he regains his sanity, if you will. He regains his right mind and his rule. And I want to show you what he says in verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 4 because this really helps set up uh, where the message is going today. It helps you understand kind of the, the chapter. So let me just read to you 1, 2, and 3. So King Nebuchadnezzar 
to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all of the earth. He ruled most of the earth at that time. So he says this, peace be multiplied to you. Verse 2, it has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most, God, most high God has done for me. How great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, what Neb is telling us here is this. I want to share my testimony with you. He's writing out his testimony of how God worked in his life. How God revealed himself to Nebuchadnezzar. And he wants to tell the whole world. He wants to tell anybody who will listen that he alone is God. And that he alone rules. That he alone works wonders. So if you are looking for evidence, church... That people can change, Nebuchadnezzar is exhibit A. He's exhibit A. This is the work of God changing people's lives. And he does it one person at a time. And he's doing it all the time. Now then the question becomes, how does God do this? How does God work in this way to change Nebuchadnezzar's life, to change your life, to change my life, to change anybody's life? How does he do it? Very simply, he works through us. He just works through us. He works through people to accomplish his purpose of heart change uh, in people's lives. And so, um, you know, the Apostle Paul said the same thing. He said, we're ambassadors for Christ. Jesus said, we're the light of the world. And so, just like Daniel, he wants to use us. It wasn't that Daniel was different from us. No, we, we have the same call as Daniel. And that is to be used by God so that other people will know the true and the living God. So we're going to read the rest of uh, chapter 4, and it's a lengthy passage. So I'm going to ask if you're willing and able and in good shape today, I'm going to ask um, if you can stand together for the reading of God's Word. Really interesting story. Now we're going to just kind of jump in midstream. Verse 17, he says, The sentence... And uh, that sentence is him having the mind of an animal and being driven from, you know, ruling in Babylon. But so that's, that's kind of what he's talking about there. So the sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belshazzar, that's his name for Daniel, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men out of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the ends of the earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all, under which the beast of the field found shade and whose branches and the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven saying, 
chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till the seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the fields. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities, by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may, be, there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So all of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is it not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. Seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him what have you done at the same time my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom my majesty and splendor returned to me my counselors and my lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. The grass withers and the flowers fade but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. Whew, I need oxygen. <laughs> Somebody bring me some Gatorade. So there's really nothing short of miraculous. When I started looking at this, I'm like, is this what I think is happening? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar becomes a God believer. He becomes a member of the family of God. What in the world happened to him? Well, I tell you, God used Daniel to change Neb's life. And if God can use Daniel, he can use us. So what I want to do is I want to share with you just three very simple life-changing gospel truths 
that really spur life, life change, that bring about a change in our hearts and in our lives. And the first one is this. I think what we see from Daniel 4 is this, that God is God and I am not. God is God and I am not. And let me explain what I mean. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Daniel tells him what the dream means. You're going to have a great fall. And Daniel calls him to repent. And uh, he calls him to repent because of his sins, because of his pride and his arrogance. And, uh, and Neb doesn't heed the call. The dream terrifies him, but he doesn't do anything right at the beginning. Look with me at verses 29 through 30. Let me show you how this kind of unfolds. At the end of 12 months, so this is 12 months after Daniel brings the interpretation to him. This is 12 months after he tells the king to repent. So at the end of the 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar's walking along the roof of the royal palace overlooking Babylon. He's overlooking his kingdom. He's pretty proud of what he's built and what he's accomplished. And the king answered and he says, it's not, it's not this great Babylon which I have built to, you know, by my mighty power as, as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. Now, you see the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. He's full of pride and arrogance. How do I know that? I know by his words. Many times our words will reveal our hearts. They reveal our spiritual maturity or our lack of spiritual maturity. And you notice Neb's preferred pronouns, me, myself, and I. And that's what he describes here. I have built Babylon my, by my mighty power and the glory of my majesty. So he's looking at everything that he's built and he's, he's taking credit for all that he's accomplished. This is what I've done. This is what I've been able to do. And it's almost like as if God says, that's it. I've given you a dream. I've told you what the dream means. And I've called you to repentance. And you still haven't repented. And then, and then verse 31 happens while the words were still in the king's mouth. Like he didn't even get through everything he was about to say. There fell a voice from heaven O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the fields, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you. And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. So he is driven off of his throne, he's driven out in the fields, and he now has the mind of an animal. Now I did a little, little research on this, the medical condition for this is called boanthropy. And boanthropy is really the state of a delusion that a person has when they think they're a cow or an ox. I'm not making this up. And so what we see in this passage, 31 through 32, is God gives him mental illness. That's exactly what we see. God strikes him down with mental illness. Now, church, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not implying that mental illness or even most illness uh, is some kind of direct punishment from God. I'm not saying that. But it's clear that this occurrence is. That's what we do now. This comes directly from the hand of God. It was designed to humble him. It was designed for his own good. It was designed to save him from his own, his own futility and his own destruction. And so... God wants to humble him, and he does it in a very, very public way. I think it speaks to how much sin blinds us, 
how much sin hardens our hearts, how much sin deafens our ears so that we can't understand reality. We don't understand. God is God and I'm not. And that's what sin does is it deceives us, it tricks us. And so this is the length of God's love for Nebuchadnezzar that he would give him this affliction in order to bring him eventually into his right mind. So what's the goal here? You see it in verse 32. Let me show you God's goal. Uh, he says this, until you know, you're going to be struck down with this, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And so he's trying to, he's trying to show Nebuchadnezzar who he is. Now let's camp on this for a minute. I, I think uh, what we need to kind of start with as we kind of apply this for us is, is, is really this truth, that um, our smarts and our gifts and our accomplishments and our abilities cannot determine our future. And they cannot provide security for us. That's a hard lesson for Nebuchadnezzar to learn. It is a hard lesson for you and I to learn as well. Let me just say it again, that our smarts, our gifts, our accomplishments, our abilities, our worldly wisdom, whatever you want to come up with, it can't determine our future. And it certainly can't provide security for us. And so this is just such a challenging lesson for us because I, I think a couple of different reasons, we are bombarded with messages from the world telling us that we can be God telling us that we can be in control, that we can handle it, that we can determine our destiny. You know, Daniel Schreiner is a pastor in Portland, Oregon, and he got a, he got a mailer uh, from a local gym in his community. And uh, this is what it said on, on the mailer. It said, uh, the year of you, the year of you. And I'm quoting here. The new year is right around the corner and you're either gonna own the year or the year is going to own you. It's 100% your choice. It's in your hands. That's the first thing. Simply by taking all responsibility and putting it on your shoulders and you become empowered. Notice, notice how it's phrased. Next, you take the feeling of empowerment, of invincibility, the feeling that you can run through a wall and you can take action and you take action like you've never taken action before and you become prolific. You become consistent and you let no obstacle stand in your way, no matter what. No more pity parties. No more whining about anything. You are in control. You are. Now that is a marketing pitch. That's pretty bold, don't you think? The problem is, the problem is, church, we get hundreds of those every single day. So it's no wonder that we have this tendency to want to be in control. You know, Burger King's slogan, you know what that is right now? Have it your way. They got a new one. I got a new one. It's even more to the point. You rule. You rule. That's it right there. And, um, and so, yeah, and we, we hear these marketing messages every single day. The challenge with this is, is that we have this human nature, this sinful nature. And so we are very vulnerable to believing this lie over and over and over again. And so we we pursue self-sufficiency, we pursue autonomy, we pursue control, and we're even taught this from our youngest of years, right? Like, like we're taught to, 
you know, you need to practice longer and study harder and, and you can make your own breaks. You can decide your own luck and, and you know, you can, you know, plan better than the next guy. And, and we get the message that if you strive for excellence, then you can hold your destiny in your hand. You can, you can do whatever you want to do. You can accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. Now, church, there's nothing wrong with striving for excellence. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that at all. God expects you to use your gifts, and talents, and abilities. He wants you to work hard. He created you to work hard. There's no question about that. But we need to keep in mind a balance. And the balance is this, that our talent, our brains, the opportunities that we have are nothing apart from God's sovereignty in our lives. They're nothing. And so that's what he's trying to teach Nebuchadnezzar. And, and Neb thought everything he accomplished was him. You know, I did that. That's what Nebuchadnezzar's saying. He forgot how fragile human greatness really is. It's like trying to hold water in your hand. It just slips right through. It just dries up. I mean, think about Nebuchadnezzar's situation. I mean, this is the most powerful man in all of the world. He controls most of the world, and in 12 months' time, he can barely control his own faculties. That's where he is. I mean, his military power, his political power are nothing compared to the power of God. And so we can never do enough, know enough, or have enough to have ultimate control over our lives. Most of our lives are really beyond our control. Most of them. Now, let's get, let's get real practical with this. Tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up, and you have to make a decision. Who's going to run your life tomorrow? You or God? You're going to have to get up in the morning, and you're going to make a decision. Who's going to call the shots today? You or God? You're going to wake up in the morning, and you're going to be faced with this question. Who sets the agenda? You or God? Am I going to live my plan or am I going to live God's plan? That's the question you have to face. And I would just say this, that so many of us are struggling with fear and anxiety and depression and exhaust, exhaustion because we're trying to control something that is beyond our control. And if you will just yield to God's control, if you will just let God be God and you will trust that awesome God, You'll be amazed at the pressure that it takes off. Jesus said it like this, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. In other words, trust the rule and the reign of God, not your rule and reign, his rule and reign. Trust it and all of these things will be added to your life. That's the first life-changing gospel truth. God is God and I am not. Secondly, all that I have is a gift from God. This is a big one. And I think this is what Nebuchadnezzar really learns. And uh, he, he kind of comes to this through Daniel's ministry. Okay, Daniel is sharing with him. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. But let me just kind of unpack number two. Uh, and that is this, that all that I have is a gift from God. You know, some people know that human power and wisdom and accomplishment cannot uh, account for worldly success. Some people know that. Some of you know that. That, that worldly success is not defined by, you know, my power, my wisdom, and my accomplishments. So we, we know that, so then we come up with another reason why we must be successful. And the reason that we, we use to explain our accomplishments and our success is 
we must be pretty good people. I'm a good person. That, that, that's why I'm successful. And we look to our morality and we look to our spiritual superiority as the reason why we're successful in life. Now, we would never say that. We're more self-aware than that, right? We would never come out and say that. But I, I think we believe our success sometimes is solely because we're really good people. We're good, hardworking people. There's a word for that, church. It's called pride. And um, it's clear from Daniel chapter 4 that God's intention is, is to really just make it so plain and true that, um, you know, that our achievements are, you know, our success are not because of our power and our wisdom and our authority and our success is not because of our goodness. The success we have is a gift of God's grace. That's the bottom line. And that's what we see. Let me show you verse 17 because we says it. It says this three times in chapter 4, but I'll show it to you once. Verse 17, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and he gives it, the Most High gives it to whom he will. You see that? So, so he wants everybody to know that he rules and that he gives the kingdom to whomever he wills. And so God not only is proclaiming himself as sovereign, but he declares that he grants the kingdom to whoever he wants to. And so God gives blessing. He gives success. He gives power. He gives popularity. He gives, you know, uh, you know wealth and money. He gives it however he wants to, according to what he thinks it's best. Now, there's an important distinction here. And, and this is a scriptural distinction that we need to kind of hold on, hold on to as we kind of think about this. And the distinction is this, that if you walk in obedience to God, you will be blessed. There's no question, that is 100% guarantee that, that obedience to God leads to blessing, the blessing of God. No question about that. But my obedience does not obligate God to make me successful in the eyes of the world. Does that make sense? So there's nothing about my obedience that puts it on God, that makes him, you know, that requires him to make me successful in the eyes of the world. You know this by experience, right? You, you know people that are far from God, but they're extremely successful in this world. Famous, powerful, you know, gave billions and billions of dollars. I mean, you, you know people like that. You also know people who love God, but man, they're not very successful according to the world standards. All you have to do is go to Haiti. You know, in Haiti, there are thousands and thousands of Christians. There are thousands of people trusting God every single day. But you know, all of them have one thing in common. They live in Haiti and they live below the poverty line. And then Haiti is a country that's ruled by warlords and gangs. And they don't care about what's right and wrong. They don't care about God or justice or anything. But man, they're living their best life now, if you know what I'm saying. And so we see this over and over again. There's, there, the, the point here is this. There's no cause-effect relationship between human goodness and earthly success. Neb is a wicked, cruel tyrant, and yet God goes after his heart. And, um, and so the only explanation for that is God's gracious provision. Because there was nothing in Neb that made, you know, that made God a debtor to him. And so Jesus taught this in the parable of the talents. 
Um, you know, he said to one he gave one talent, to one he gave three, to one he gave uh, five talents. And so God doesn't bless us equally. He blesses us, but he blesses us according to his will and according to his plan. And so grace really lies at the heart of all of our accomplishments, all of our success. Even, even this, follow me on this church, even our spiritual attainments as well. Grace lies at the heart of it. Because what's amazing about Nebuchadnezzar is at the end of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar's praising the one and true and living God. He's bringing glory and honor to him. Now, was, was there something good in Neb? There's something that Neb did to des, you know, deserve you know, God's grace? Not at all. And so there was nothing in Neb that made God deal graciously with him. It was just a simple gift of his grace. Here's the point. The same is true of you and me. The same is true of you and me. Sometimes I think we like to look at our lives and think, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing well. You know, I'm doing great. I must be a really good person, you know. And it's not that at all. What it is, is we serve an amazing God. That's what it is. And so I think it's a tendency for us to kind of look at ourselves and say, well, I'm a great athlete. I did that. Or I just love parenting. My kids are turning out great. I did that. Or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really successful in my job and career. And, I, man, I'm just, man, I'm just really doing great. I did that. And I think what we learned from Daniel 4 is, no, God did that. Because every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so when we take our pride and we move it out and we place it with humility, then we take all the things that God has given us, our clients, our business, our, our, you know, our grades, our sports, whatever it is. And you just offer it up to God and say, God, this is from you and I'm just giving it back to you for your glory. It all comes from you anyway. That's humility. And that's where God is trying to move Nebuchadnezzar and that's exactly where he moves him. And then that brings us to the third life-changing gospel truth. It's simple, but man, it's a big one. And it's this, that God's grace is greater than my sin. You have the gospel sitting right here in the middle of the Old Testament. God's grace is greater than my sin. You know, one of the most difficult things that I do as a pastor, this is by far the most difficult thing about my job, and that is this. Um, I, I wrestle as much with, you know, convincing believers that they can be forgiven as I do trying to convince unbelievers that they must be forgiven. I really do. I, and, and so it's a struggle. We're talking about the grace of God, because our minds, the grace of God is so incredible, our minds always think there's got to be a catch. I mean, his salvation can't be free, right? It can't be a, just purely a gift. And that's exactly what, and we struggle with that. And, uh, and it's my hardest job is convincing us that grace is a gift. Neb is, and I'll, I'll do this charitably, King Nebuchadnezzar is a spiritual low life. He really is. This guy is far from God, and yet God claims his heart. God goes after his very heart and humbles him and brings him to himself. Let me show it to you in verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. My sanity came back to me, and then what did I do with my sanity? I blessed the Most High with it, and I praised and honored him who lives forever, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures 
from generation to generation. This guy was a wicked dude. I mean, he killed thousands of people. I mean, he destroyed the country of Israel. He leveled the city of Jerusalem. He captured and imprisoned God's people and sent them, you know, into, uh, into uh, exile. And, and then he facilitates all the people worshiping uh, pagan idols. And, uh, and what we see is very simply this, that if the gospel can reach Nebuchadnezzar, it can reach anybody. If the gospel of God's grace can change Nebuchadnezzar, it can change anybody. You guys tracking with me on this? God's grace is greater than my sin. I can't outpunt the grace of God. I can't. I can try, but I can't do it. And that's what we see. I was reading about this lady, Mary Poplin. Uh, not Mary Poppins, but Mary Poplin. Um, <laughs> she was... Um, just an extraordinary story. She comes to Christ. She was a professor at Claremont Graduate School. And she comes to Christ through a dream. I'm not making this up. And by the way, do you know a lot of Muslims today across the Muslim world are coming to Christ because Jesus is speaking to them in dreams? You know that? I mean, there's all kinds of stories about that, but that, I'm digressing here. But back to Mary Poppins here. So... Um, so she was a professor at Claremont Graduate School. She was a radical, this is how she describes herself. She was a radical feminist. She was a multiculturalist. And she was deep into postmodernism and uh, new age spirituality. She was all in. In fact, she says basically, my mentor, my savior was Shirley MacLaine. If you know that name, she's kind of the mother of new age spirituality. But notice, notice, listen to her testimony. She says this, and yet in certain moments, I could see glimpses of who I really was. I was not growing freer through her new age stuff. My heart was growing harder. My emotions darker. My mind more confused. Then in 1992, she had an unshakable dream in which she saw Jesus at the Last Supper. When I got to Jesus, she wrote, and looked into his eyes, I grasped immediately that every cell in my body was filled with filth. Weeping, I fell at his feet. But he, when he reached over, he touched my shoulders, and I suddenly felt peace. She reached out to a friend who suggested that she really needed to read the Bible. That's a great word there. Then in January 1993, she was sitting in a small church and she received an invitation to come forward. And she prayed, if you're real, please come and get me. And suddenly I felt the same peace that I had known in that dream. To clean up my soul, she said, God taught me what a good friend of mine calls the bar of soap verse of the Bible. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But notice this, forgiveness wasn't always easy to accept. See where we struggle with grace? I had undergone, I had undergone two abortions and over three long years of prayer, I doubted whether God had truly forgiven me. Some of my counselors and fellow Christians had encouraged me to, quote, forgive myself. But really, the more I searched the scripture, the more confident I was that forgiveness could only come as a gift of God's grace. Like the Apostle Paul, I had to learn to forget what is behind and reach forward to that 
which is before. You know what she's saying? She's saying God's grace is greater than my sin. Man, that is a life-changing truth. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been. I don't know who you've been. I just know God can forgive. And that is the life-changing truth of the gospel. It's like the old hymn, To God Be the Glory. Um, verse goes like this, O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus forgiveness receives. Is there someone in your life that needs to hear the message of the gospel? Maybe a friend, a family member, a coworker. Maybe you. Maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe you need to receive it today. Now let me just close with this. If we are called to shine in Babylon, how do we do that? Like what does that look like? If God used Daniel and he wants to use us, then how do we share these life-changing gospel truths in Babylon today? How do we do that today? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me give you some four, four thoughts about this. Number one, what I want you to see is this. As we are out and about kind of living on mission like Daniel did, you need to realize that salvation is a process of God working. Salvation is a process of God working. Jesus said, you know, in John 5, 17, he said this. He said, my father's working and I'm working. So then the question was, what is the work of God? The work of God is bringing people to himself. So what I want you to understand is as you go to school tomorrow, as you go out in the workforce, as you, you know, stay home with your kids, as you're doing whatever God's called you to do, understand that God is working in every, every single human heart that you, inter that you interact with. He's working in some way. He's speaking to them. He's revealing himself to them. He's, he's quickening their conscience. You know, he's, he's, he's reminding them of the void in their life that they need a relationship with God. And so there's a process happening here. And you see this process unfold in Daniel. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar is right in the middle of this kind of process that we've, we've, we've been looking at. Let me, let me show you the end of Daniel chapter 2. Daniel's interpreted the first dream. Notice Nebuchadnezzar is coming to understand who the true and living God is. Look at 2 verse 47. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. So all of a sudden, the light bulb's starting to go off. He's not totally there yet, but he's getting there. And then a few years after that, we don't know how many, but Daniel's friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they, you know, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. They're delivered. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. At the end of Daniel 3, verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is a process. I mean, slowly but surely, this guy's having his eyes open. And then Daniel comes back 32 years after Daniel chapter 2. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, this is verse 37, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. He's basically saying, I am exhibit A. I've been humbled and praise God for it. So this is probably my guess. This is, you can't hold me to this. I can't prove this. Probably 40 years. 40 years of God working Nebuchadnezzar's heart. Now let me ask you, who is it that needs the gospel in your life and are you willing to go the distance with them? Are you willing to 
pray for them, love them, and wait for them over the long haul. Are you willing to do it? Daniel was. And it changed Nebuchadnezzar's life. Secondly, if we're going to shine in Babylon, we're going to share the truth of the gospel in Babylon, we need to be ready to share the gospel. We need to be ready to share. Church, if somebody came up to you and asked, will you tell me the gospel, could you explain it to them? You know, a lot of us are silent, you know, in our witness because we don't, we, we don't think we can articulate the gospel. We can't really explain it. And we're afraid we'll say something wrong so we don't say anything at all. Even if you said Jesus loves you, man, that's the gospel, right? I mean, that's it right there. But we need to be ready to share the gospel. When Nebuchadnezzar needed Daniel to interpret the dreams, he was ready and willing to go. Just like that. He's ready and willing to go. I remember I was a soft, and I was a junior in high school. I was walking to football practice in the football field house, getting ready to suit up and go out there. And I had my Bible. I was carrying my Bible on top of my U.S. history book. And Quentin Jenkins, a senior on the team, the star player of our team, um, would mix with a guy like me. I don't know why, but because I wasn't very big back then. But uh, So he comes up to me, and he says, Scott, he grabs my Bible. And he says, will you tell me about this? Tell me about it right now. So we go find, everybody else is getting you know, ready for practice, so we go find a couple of lockers that are kind of away from everybody so we could talk. And, and I started sharing, and he asked me some questions, and I said, I said, Quentin, do you want to give your life to Christ? He said, absolutely. And I prayed with him to receive Christ. And he's a Christian today because of that day. But what if somebody did that for you? What if somebody went up and asked you? Could you explain it? You should be able to. All right. Thirdly, you need to be willing to speak the truth in love. We need to be willing. to. Sh- if we're going to shine in Babylon, we got to speak the truth in love. And part of the good news of the gospel is there's some bad news to it. And church, as we're evangelizing, as we're living on mission, I'm going to end with this here. Hang with me. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin is a problem. Big problem. So we need to be willing to communicate to people the bad news so that the good news can be good news. Does that make sense? And we don't need to hold back. We don't need to be worried about sharing the truth that they already know in their heart. God's already working in their heart to bring them to faith in Christ. And so what I love about Daniel is he's willing to share some hard news with the king. Think about how scary that would be. He's going to tell the most powerful man in all of the world, you're going to be an animal. You're basically going to become an animal. I mean, he's, Daniel has to be thinking, I'm going to get my head cut off here. But he, but he shares it anyway. What I love about this, I don't have time to talk about this, but Daniel, Daniel actually cares about Nebuchadnezzar. He, and he communicates this uh, in his interaction with him about the dream. He cares about him. He loves him. He's not rejoicing that he's about to go into this humiliating set of circumstances. He actually really cares about him. And then lastly, Daniel calls him to repentance and that's what we need to be willing to do as well is call to repentance look at verse 27 I'll just show it to you Um, this is truth to power right here and he just lays it out there Daniel does therefore O king let my counsel counsel be acceptable to you break off your sins and practice righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity so church as we're interacting 
and sharing and shining the gospel, as we're having these conversations, don't be afraid to just speak the truth in love and call to repentance. And so we're sinners. Jesus died for our sins. And so to receive his forgiveness, we believe in his grace and then turn away from our sin. And so that's really the good news that Daniel shares. And that's why Neb's life is forever changed. So here's the thing. God is in the life-changing business. And he works through all of us to do that. And uh, we're called, commissioned, equipped, and empowered to go and share that. The best news in all of the world, Jesus was the tree, the tree of life that let himself be torn down and let himself be drenched in his own blood so that you and I wouldn't have to. He did it because he loves us. And now we become good news bearers, gospel sharers, in the world today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Fathers, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for um, just what an amazing gift it is. That it's not by might, it's not by power, but salvation is truly by your spirit. That anything good in our lives, God, anything of any success is really a gift from you. Certainly you gave us opportunities, you gave us talents, gifts, abilities, education. You, you've given us so much. It all comes from you. So may we just walk with greater joy realizing every breath that we breathe is a gift from you. And so God, I just pray that we would rediscover your grace today. I pray that you would empower us to go out into the world this week and share it with those who, who really hunger and thirst for good news. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you died for us. Thank you that your grace is greater than our sin. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Let's stand together as we worship.